0: Welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Drew Huffaker. I'm Marianna Richardson. And we're so glad to have you here with us today. We will be studying 2 Nephi chapters 6 through 10. And as we begin, it's fun to think about what has transpired so far. So it has been about 40 years since they left Jerusalem. The Lamanites and Nephites have formally separated And the contention is going strong and will continue for over a thousand years. So to help strengthen the Nephites, their brother, Jacob, has um, been set apart to be a teacher. And he wants to point them toward Jesus Christ. And to do that, he likes to share the words of Isaiah. So that's where we will start today. Well, and
1: I think it's interesting that the words of Isaiah oftentimes can be a stumbling block for having us continue forward in the Book of Mormon. And Elder Boyd K. Packer kind of talked about this in a general conference talk. He was talking about how much he loves the Book of Mormon, and he invited everyone to read the Book of Mormon. But then he says, then just as you settle into move comfortably along, you will meet a barrier. The style of the language changes to Old Testament prophecy style, for interspersed in the narrative are chapters reciting the prophecies of Old Testament prophet Isaiah. They loom as a barrier, like a roadblock or a checkpoint, beyond which the casual reader, one with idle curiosity, generally will not go. You too may be tempted to stop there, but do not do it. Do not stop reading. (laughs) Move forward through those difficult to understand chapters of Old Testament prophecy. Even if you understand very little of it, move on. If all you do is skim and merely glean an impression here and there, move on. If all you do is look at the words, soon you will emerge from those difficult chapters to the easier New Testament style, which is characteristic of the rest of the Book of Mormon. Because you are forewarned about that barrier you will be able to surmount it and finish reading the book. <laughs> now, I, I don't feel completely that same way. I love the Isaiah chapters. I think some of the barriers that happen, though, is the fact that we have chapters. Realize that when the Book of Mormon was first published, it was written more like a story. It was written as, you know, just going on in one story. And sometimes if you read the Isaiah chapters as a story, rather than put into chapters, it kind of makes a lot more sense. Now, Jacob was telling us these words and realized he knew that we would be getting these words in the latter days. You know, these words are not just for his people, but they're specifically for us. And he says in verse 5 of chapter 6, And now the words which I shall read are they which Isaiah spake concerning all the house of Israel. And he says, Wherefore, they may be likened unto you, for ye are of the house of Israel. Well, now, all of us are of the house of Israel here in the latter days. If you've had a patriarchal blessing, part of that patriarchal blessing was you being told what tribe of the house of Israel you are in. And so, as such, we have the blessings of the house of Israel, but we also have the challenges of staying true the covenants that we have that are given to us through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that we must hold on to those. So the story that goes through these chapters, and this is 2 Nephi chapters six through eight, is where we have these words of Isaiah that are quoted but the story is that as members of the house of Israel we can always trust God and his promises as members of the house of Israel sometimes we don't always stay true to those covenants and i think of jacob and these prophets who understood that in the millennia after they lived that there would be their people would leave the covenants that they had been given at this point. And so he also, this is kind of the story of his people, but it also can be a very personal story in that all of us have trials in our lives. All of us have issues and problems and maybe questions of faith and it's okay. That's kind of what Jacob's saying. He's saying, yep, you might have some trials in your life. You can see this as a personal journey but also as a journey for the house, the whole house of Israel, kind of throughout time, because this is the journey of our world journey, of our mortal journey. So then if we, the one verse that I really wanted to, to kind of focus on, though, is chapter 7, verse 1, because I think this is the essence of what he's trying to say. He said, um, you know, during this time, he's, he's talking about both sides, those that leave the covenant And those that stay true. And he says, um, you know, he he goes on in verse 11. He said, um, they shall be gathered together again to the lands of their inheritance after they've been scattered. And then he said, the Gentiles, if they shall repent and fight not against Zion, that the Lord will fulfill his covenants with them. And then he goes on to teach them that the Messiah will come a second time to recover his people and none will he destroy that believe in him. And then he talks very specifically about those that don't, those that fight against the covenant people. And then at the end, he says, I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. And he says, Yea, for thus saith the Lord, Have I put thee away, or have I cast thee off forever? For thus saith the Lord, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement? To whom have I put thee away? Or to which of my creditors have I sold you? Yea, to whom have I sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have ye sold yourselves. And for your transgressions is your mother put away. So I, I really love this verse because it really helps us understand that when we feel divorced, when we feel a slave to the world when we feel disowned from the um, family of the church or have questions about our testimony, that the Lord is saying here, I'm not doing that to you. I am here. I didn't make you a slave. I didn't disown you. I didn't divorce you. But through your iniquities, you have sold yourselves.
0: We're the ones that choose to move away from him, aren't we?
1: We are and And that's very, very difficult in our lives, and especially when we see loved ones making those choices. Second Nephi chapter seven, if we continue this reading, it is the Lord talking about his first coming, and it talks about all the difficulties that he would have during that time, how he would be crucified, how he would be um, at the cross, that he would be shamed and spit at. and then, at the end. He also says that we must fear the voice of the Lord and obey the voice of his servants. But chapter 8 is specifically for the last days. And we have this beautiful um, verses here that help us understand how positive this is. That if we have a testimony of the Savior, he says over and over again, I am he. Yea, I am he that comforteth you. So he acknowledges that we might have some hard times ahead in the latter days, but if we hold on to the Lord, but I am the Lord thy God, and then he says, Behold, thou art my people. And so if we continue to be his people, if we continue to hold on to the fact that we are of the house of Israel, remember that. The Lord is our God, and he will remember his covenants that he has made with us.
0: I love that, that we can always count on him to be there for us. As Jacob taught his people the words of Isaiah, he talks to them and, like you said, reminds them of the covenants he has made. He teaches them about when Christ comes to the the earth, what he would have to endure. And he pleads with them to accept the gift of the atonement that the Savior offers all. And so what then is the atonement of Jesus Christ? Brother Tad Collister, former General Sunday School President of the Church, shared some insights with us. In one sense, it is a series of divine events that commenced in the Garden of Gethsemane, continued on the cross, and culminated with the Savior's resurrection from the tomb. It was motivated by an incomprehensible love for each of us. It required a being who was sinless, who had infinite power over the elements, even death, who possessed a boundless capacity to suffer the consequences of all of our sins and ailments, and who in fact descended beneath it all. This was the mission of Jesus Christ. This was the atonement. God prepares a way for us to overcome death, which is physical death, and hell, which is spiritual death. So let's go to verse 12 and see what we can learn there. And this death of which I have spoken, which is the spiritual death, shall deliver up its dead. Which spiritual death is hell? Wherefore, death and hell must deliver up their dead, and hell must deliver up its captive spirits. And the grave must deliver up its captive bodies, and the bodies and the spirits of men will be restored one to another. And it is by the power of resurrection of the Holy One of Israel. And also, if we go to verse 23 and 24, we learn how we overcome spiritual death. If you're righteous, if you're wicked, every person that's ever lived will be resurrected so that they can stand before the judgment bar of God. But to obtain eternal life, which means to overcome spiritual death, there's certain things that we have to do. And we can read about those in chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. And he commandeth all men that they must repent and be baptized in his name having perfect faith in the Holy One of Israel, or they cannot be saved in the kingdom of God. And if they will not repent and believe in his name and be baptized in his name and endure to the end, they must be damned. For the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has spoken it. So eternal life, to receive all that the Father has for his people, for his children, we have to we have to do certain things. We have to be baptized. We have to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized and to get on that covenant path and endure to the end and keep the commandments and become like him. Those are the ways that we overcome spiritual death. And it's only through the atonement that we are able to overcome those things and to be forgiven. Well, it's following
1: the doctrine of Christ or the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, when we talked about that before, it's faith in Jesus Christ, second repentance, baptism, but also covenants in general, and then receiving the Holy Ghost and enduring to the end. Those are all the steps that we must do to be able to, to conquer spiritual death.
0: Yes, thank you so much for clarifying that. Um, because of the atonement, we have reason to celebrate. Because of the tender mercy and grace that has been extended to us. And I like to think for just a moment, let's talk about each of those words, mercy and grace. First of all, mercy is the spirit of compassion, tenderness, and forgiveness. It's when we treat a person with greater compassion than they deserve. And you think about that. <laughs> well, the Savior definitely um, does that for each one of us. Yes. That is for sure. So that's how he extends his mercy. He, he gives us compassion that we really don't deserve sometimes. Grace is the enabling power that comes from God and allows us to obtain the blessings in this life and gain eternal life and salvation in the life to come. It is the power of Christ to rescue us from the effects of death and sin. Because of His atonement, the Savior has enabling powers that can help us overcome our weaknesses and imperfections and help us as we are in our pursuit to become more like Him. So, without the atonement of Jesus Christ, there is no hope. But because of Him, we have hope. We know that we can gain all that the Father has and He's willing and wanting desperately for us to obtain that gift of eternal life. But we have to be faithful. We have to do the things that you pointed out, Mariana, and then endure to the end. I love
1: the words of Jacob because he loved this plan. And I he also loved the words of Isaiah because of all the exclamation points. <laughs> now, I, I will say this. You might have fun as a family just to read the words of Isaiah, but also read chapters nine and 10 and just count how many exclamation points
0: <laughs> are in all of
1: these chapters. It's kind of fun because there's a lot of them. But I just wanted to point out at the very end of the words of Isaiah, we have the, these wonderful words of woohoo. They say, awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion. Shake thyself from the dust, arise, sit down. Then if we go to, you know, chapter nine and we're looking at Jacob as he's teaching about the plan of salvation, he exclaims over and over again how happy he is <laughs> about this wonderful plan. A matter of fact, if you count it, he does this six times. He says at the in in verse eight, he says, oh, the wisdom of God, his mercy and grace, exclamation point. <laughs> and then in verse 10. Oh, how great the goodness of our God, exclamation point. And then in verse 13, oh, how great the plan of our God. And then in verse 17, oh, the greatness and the justice of our God. And then in verse 20, oh, the greatness of the mercy of our God, the Holy One of Israel. Oh, how great the holiness of God. I just love those exclamations because that is how all of us should feel about the atonement of Jesus Christ. This is all interspersed with his commentary and his teaching of the doctrine that you so beautifully described. So as he's talking about the atonement, he does a big woohoo, <laughs> he does an exclamation, and he tries to help people understand how great and glorious this doctrine is. And I'm really hopeful that all of us, as we read these scriptures, Maybe every single time we see an exclamation point, as a family, we say, woohoo, woohoo. <laughs> and I just think that we would just feel such happiness as we read it that way. I also thought about the, the beautiful song, How Great Thou Art. And that is exactly how Jacob feels. He is constantly saying, uh, You can also count how many times he says, Great. He really does think that this is a great plan. And so um, it says in that beautiful hymn, it specifically says, Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. And you could just feel Jacob singing that hymn in terms of chapter 9, because he loves the Lord and he just feels such joy as he talks about the atonement and the plan of our sacred Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father.
0: And shouldn't we have that same excitement? This is the good news. It is the good news. (laughs) That we should be sharing. We have been so blessed to have this knowledge ourselves. And it's our responsibility and it's our privilege and it's our joy to share that message with the world. And I love that we can... Join our voices with him to say woohoo yep. and to rejoice in this great plan and for the atonement and what it offers all of us. There are
1: two contrasting phrases that we also see through Jacob that we talk about the merciful plan of the great creator, which you kind of talked about grace and mercy already, but then that cunning plan of the evil one. And so, how did those
0: two kind of work together? <laughs> Well, they are contrasting because they show the exact opposites. So the merciful plan of the great creator is that he offers us resurrection and the ability to again enter the presence of the Lord. But the cunning plan of the, of the evil one, Satan tries to teach men that they don't need to hearken to God at all. And they set aside the words of God. And he, we cannot let Satan deceive us. We can't let him leave us, lead us astray because there is a plan. And we know that it is by following this plan that we will obtain eternal life and happiness now and in forever.
1: So I think it's if we turn to, um, basically I'm going to look at verses 40 to 42 because these are also verses that show that contrast really, really well. And first in verse 40, he says, Oh, my beloved brethren. So he's talking and I would like to say brothers and sisters. (laughs) I know he meant both. (laughs) He says, Oh, my beloved brothers and sisters give ear to my words. Remember the greatness. And we've talked about greatness of the Holy one of Israel. Do not say that I have spoken hard things against you. Then he goes on and he talks very specifically about both sides. And in verse 42, he says, and whoso knocketh to him will he open. And then he has his caveat, and the wise and the learned and they that are rich who are puffed up because of their learning and their wisdom and their riches, yea, they are whom he despiseth. Ooh, that's pretty tough. So I think that I I was reading this list here and I thought, okay, I'm pretty blessed. You know, we, we do, we are blessed with so much riches and, and great bounty in our lives right now. Am I whom he despiseth? And then he goes on, and then it has his caveat. And save they shall cast these things away and consider themselves fools before God and come down in the depths of humility. He will not open unto them. So he's giving us a way out. Yes, if we we have we might have a lot of stuff, but we must be willing to give all that stuff away to the Lord. And we must be willing to be humble. Even though we might be really smart and we might be very learned, he wants us to in humility seek his guidance and seek his understanding. And if we do that, I want to also go to 51, because 51 is one of my favorites. He said, Wherefore do not spend money for that which is of no worth, nor your labor for that which cannot satisfy. Hearken diligently unto me and remember the words of which I have spoken, and come unto the Holy One of Israel, and feast upon that which perisheth not, neither can be corrupted. And let your soul delight in fatness. I love that phrase because uh, actually right now it's lunchtime. And my, my stomach is, you might hear my stomach growling. But I have to admit this whole idea of feast on the words of God and delight in fatness. I mean, who wouldn't delight in fatness? to be able to feast and eat all that you wanted. Um, that's what the Lord is asking us to do, to feast on righteousness.
0: And I think it's interesting that you say, we are, it's, he's kind of condemning the learned. And it's not that it's bad to obtain knowledge. No. But it's if we become so learned that we think we know better than God and we don't he'll hearken to his counsel anymore, that's when it becomes a problem. And it's not bad to have riches. As long as those riches are used to build his kingdom. Exactly. Because there's a lot of opportunities that are given to people. If you do have money, you have something to share Mm -hmm. for one. You can have charity and share it with other people. You can serve missions for the Lord if you can financially be able to do that. Mm -hmm. There's many ways we can contribute greater fast offerings and tithing and help to build temples. There's lots of things we can do that are good with riches. But I think it's all about the focus.
1: And giving it all to the Lord and realizing whose it really is. Yes. And it's it's not... not ours. It's the Lord's. And isn't that something that Satan gets us confused about? When it comes to riches, he, you know, that's, that's when Satan gets involved in terms of making us feel like, oh, these are mine. Oh, I did this. I did this. These, this is my stuff and i think what the lord is trying to help us to understand it's it's not being rich but it's how we do how do we deal with our riches how do we handle it where do we realize do we are we humbly understanding that they are the lord's and that we are willing to cast them off to him and to others in need
0: well, thank you for going over all of those warnings that jacob gave us The things that could stand in our way of obtaining that path that leads back to our Heavenly Father. But he also is very positive. He brings up a lot of invitations that will help us to find our way back to the Lord and to eternal life. And if you go through those scriptures, I've kind of written down the different invitations that we are given One is that we remember the greatness of the Holy One of Israel. Remember, remember. We have to always remember the great things that he has done and the things that he has made possible for us. He invites us to come unto the Lord, to remember that his paths are righteous. Turn away from your sins. Shake off the chains of him that would bind you fast. Come unto that God who is the rock of your salvation. Prepare your souls for the day of judgment, and come to Christ, rich and poor. Everyone is invited to come unto him. So I hope we will follow those invitations that we have been given, so that we too can praise the name of our our Savior and our Heavenly Father for the great gifts and mercy that they have extended to us.
1: If we look at the very end, if we look at chapter 10, and we really haven't talked a lot about chapter 10, But there's so much hope and happiness there. And I just wanted to show you in verse 20, he says, And now, my beloved brethren and sisters, see that our merciful God has given us so great knowledge concerning these things. Let us remember him, just like you were saying, and lay aside our sins and not hang down our heads, for we are not cast off. But the one that I wanted to really point out was verse 23 because we can hear the words of lehi from 2nd nephi chapter 2 he says therefore cheer up your hearts and remember that ye are free to act for yourselves to choose the way of everlasting death or the way of eternal life and i just love this idea cheer up your hearts we are free to choose we can choose which path we want to go on it truly is our choice And um, along with that, I was so impressed with two different talks that go right along with these final words of wonderful Jacob. The first one is Elder Christofferson, The Joy of the Saints. And do you remember that talk? Yes, I do. Oh, it was just so beautiful because he gives us these wonderful examples of people who went through such trials and difficulties, and yet every single one of them found joy joy in their difficulties. And he says at the end, I believe that ultimate joy of the saints comes in knowing that the savior pleads their cause and no one can conceive of the joy, which will fill our souls. As we hear Jesus pray for us unto the father. And I just love that idea that through our savior and all of the things that we've talked about, the we too will cheer up. (laughs) We'll have that cheer. The other talk that just kept on going in my mind during the words of Isaiah and the words of Jacob was Let God Prevail by our wonderful prophet today, President Nelson. And, you know, Israel, the house of Israel, that's kind of the theme, means let God prevail. And he talks very specifically that the very name Israel refers to a person who is willing to let God prevail in their life. It takes faith and courage to let God prevail. It takes persistence, rigorous spiritual work to repent and to put off the natural man through the atonement of Jesus Christ. It takes consistent daily effort. So I think that is the message of these beautiful chapters, that it's not easy, but we can do
0: it. And we can choose. We have that choice that if we want to be happy, we can have it. That path has been made available to us. If we want to have misery and woe and only choose ourselves through this life, we get the reward of those choices. So our sisters, our invitation to you this week is choose Jesus Christ. Choose happiness and the path that leads to him. Sisters, we love you. We think you're wonderful. And we hope to see you again next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye.